I'd like to turn your attention to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Um, the scholars tell me that 1 Thessalonians was probably the first Christian writing that's included in the scripture. So it was before all the other books and all the other letters, 1 Thessalonians was one of the earliest, if not the earliest Christian documentation that's included in scripture. And in this chapter, I was taken aback by a phrase in verse 7. It was the phrase, so you became a model to all the believers. Paul looked at this church and he said to them, he said, listen, when I want to talk about what church should be like, I point them to you. What a compliment. Imagine that. And please, I trust, and I'm sure it is the case, that people will look at us and hope we will inspire them and the way we conduct ourselves will be a blessing. And that started me thinking, what was there about this church that Paul made them a model church? Something that others could look at and copy or could use them as a, a blueprint for their own church. Then I discovered it doesn't mention their building, whether it was a beautiful building or not, its facilities. He doesn't even mention the numerical numbers of people who attended. There's no talk about how many pastors there were, how many elders or how many deacons. There was none of that. Paul begins to talk about the church as an entity. And we thank God for the ministry team we have here. We thank God for elders and deacons and all those in ministry, whatever their titles may be. But at the end of the day, friends, we are a church. We are not a ministry team. We are a church made up of people of different backgrounds, different ages, etc. And God is looking for us to model something. We don't want our church to be necessarily the, the largest church in London or this or that or the other. We want to be what God wants us to be. We don't want to copy anyone or be anyone else but ourselves. We want to be able to go forward and that people can look at us and say, do you know what? I'd like my church to be like Kensington Temple. Not because of any sense of arrogance, but that we've got the basics right. And in this early chapter, Paul marks out the characteristics of this church. And I'd like to very gently you won't be impressed, but I don't want to impress you. I just want to be true to the scripture. And so it says there in verse one, it starts in verse one, Paul and Silas to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So it begins with establishing clearly where these people were. They were in the Father and they were in the Son. They were secure in God. Their position was the most vital one of all, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything else that we read will spring out of that, will spring out of that relationship. And if you're not a Christian, that's a relationship God wants with you. He wants you to be in the Father and in his Son. And so whatever they achieved as a church, it could be traced back to God to the Holy Spirit, and of course, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 7, he says, so you became a model to all believers. And they became an example in growth, in development, and in purpose. First thing I'd like us to notice is in verse 10. I'm not necessarily going to go in order. In verse 10, it says this. It says there for us, it says there, 
Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This congregation understood there was a limit of time to the effectiveness of their church. They were a people who had been delivered or rescued from the coming wrath. That was the judgment of God. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. They were a people who knew that they were saved. Now, I became a Christian in the 60s, and um, we used to be, have badges. Some of us would wear a badge that says, Jesus saves or Jesus lives. Okay, I remember, um, I think I've told you this before, the night I became a Christian, I was told to go home and tell someone you got saved tonight. Very user-friendly. Knocked on the door, lived in Northolt, car road in Northolt, knocked on the door, and um, my dad came to the door, and I said to him, I got saved tonight. He said, what from? I said, I don't know. And <laughs> really, I mean, I'd just come off the street. But listen, this group of people knew that they were rescued. If you're a Christian tonight, you've been rescued. And that's the basis of what this is about this evening. I've been rescued. You've been rescued. Am I better than you? Am I more spiritual than you? Probably not. But I'll tell you this, I'm rescued. And this church ministered out of the basis that they had been rescued. Rescued from the coming wrath. They were aware, not only that they had been rescued, but there was a day coming of the wrath of God or the judgment of God. Now, this may not be very palatable, but Paul is telling us here that these people were aware what they'd been rescued from. They were rescued from the coming wrath of God, the judgment day of Christ. And as they sought to minister, always on that foundation, on that floor that this church ministered from, there was that understanding they were rescued from what? From the coming wrath of God. Revelation 6.17 says, The great day of the wrath is still to come. First Thessalonians 5.9 For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. So these people knew that they would escape the judgment of Christ. They would escape it because their sins had been forgiven through Jesus Christ upon the cross. The second thing I notice in verse 9, if I may turn your attention to verse 9, it tells us there. They themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Not only were they rescued, but they were converted. You see, the, the word repentance means to turn around. And so before I was a Christian, very simple, I'm walking in this direction. I'm doing what Gordon wants. Woo Whatever Gordon wants, that's what we're going to do. I became a Christian. Christ forgave me. I am now his disciple. I turn around from that path of doing what I want. I turn around and I begin to walk in a way which I hope will be pleasing to him and acceptable to him. It's called discipleship. And Paul says here of this group that they, were, they turned to God from idols. Now, in the Thessalonica, there would have been many idols. There would be a lot of temples. There would have been Greek gods, statues to Greek gods, Roman gods. Even some of the Caesars were daft enough to think they were gods. You know, and we'd have all these literal idols around. And here was a group of people 
who though society was going in this way, although society was idolatrous, although society bowed the knee to wood, stone and gold, here were a group of people who didn't do it anymore because they'd turned to God. And so this group of people had a tremendous experience of God. They'd been rescued. They were aware of the judgment. They were aware that conversion means they had turned to God from idols. Now, of course, today you wouldn't bow down in front of an idol of stone or wood, but in all of our lives, I tell you now, there is a challenge to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A challenge. That's the idol. We've got to turn from God. For, 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 for me, my idol was me. I worshipped me before I was a Christian. Absolutely. I thought it was the bee's knees. I really did. I thought I was the best thing out there. And I had hair. And I was thinner. But I thought, thank you. Um, sorry, it's, a bit, it's called interference on the television, that. Um, you know, I really did. And I had to turn from the idol of self. So in school, if I didn't want to study, no one studied in the class. If I didn't want to do this, I didn't. I just did what I want. And then Jesus came into my life. And that idolatrous Gordon Neal had to go. And I had to stop worshipping myself and start worshipping Jesus. For other people, it might be your career. I don't know. Nothing wrong in a career. See, there's nothing wrong in the things that are probably the challenges and what we would call the idols in your life. The problem is that you don't worship them. So we've got family. Of course we have family, but we don't worship them. We love them. We don't worship them in that way. So this group of people who are a model were rescued. They were converted. And then in verse 6, it tells us there, Again, important, how you became imitators of the Lord Jesus Christ. In spite of great, severe suffering, you welcome the message with joy. This was a church who wanted to hear and receive the word of God. They received the message with joy. When Paul came and preached the gospel to these folk in this pagan society, as we are living today, they received that message with joy. They accepted God's word. For them, God's word was Paul's gospel that he was preaching and Paul's letters, but they received God's word. Do you know, friends, if we are going to be a model church, we've got to remember that we are a saved people, that we're a rescued people, that we have been converted and we've to turn from idols, but above all, that we are people who have joy whenever this book is opened and read. Very important. Oh, well, of course, you know, people today don't read. It's too, there's no absolutes. Let me tell you this. And I'm sure the pastors in the church will not mind me saying this. There are absolutes in this church and it's called the Bible. Called the Bible. You fall out with me if you want. Not bothered. I'll be on a train by half past seven. <laughs> How they receive the word of God with joy. I mentioned earlier when RT comes, bring your Bibles bring a notepad and at the end of his period of time with us if you haven't got a word of teaching and truth that will help you I will be very very surprised now please don't tell him I said those nice things about him please I don't want him to know it's better it keeps him on his toes when he knows what I'm thinking but they receive the word of God with joy 
It was troublesome times, Acts 17. A hungry church is a healthy church. A hungry church is a healthy church. That's the responsibility of everyone that comes onto this platform. Our responsibility is to feed you. Oh yes, inspire, correct. There's a whole list of things that we are to do. But at the end of the day, friends, we are to bring God's word in different styles and in different ways. But God's word is to be there. And so they receive the word of God with joy. Jumping back to verse 9, if I may. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us, how you turned to God from idols, right? To do what? To serve the living and true God. You see, when you become a Christian, you don't stop worshipping idols and then suddenly you think, well, what's that? No, no. We stop worshipping idols and we turn to serve the living and true God. This church is full of service. From those that uh, look after the doors for us, the, those that walk, collect, the, do the offerings, and uh, you know, and the musicians, are, I can't go through this. There's a whole army of people who are serving God. Before the ministers walk on the platform, there has been ministry and service already, second to none, and we appreciate it, let me tell you. And Paul says that we to turn to God, to serve the living and true God. Prior to this, they were worshipping stone idols, dead stones, a statue of Apollos or Zeus or somebody, you know? They sound like Brazilian footballers, don't they? You know, no, no, they were stone. Oh, they may be gold, they may look marvellous. Wow, look at that, isn't that tremendous? Oh dear. Everything in the carnal nature thinks, wow, but let me tell you this, the wow of a piece of stone is nothing compared to the wow of seeing the living Lord Jesus Christ in your life. And these people have turned to serve the living and true God. That they believed, forgive me, that God was living and he was the true God. You see, in one sense, God is not the true God because there is only one God. So he's automatically the true God. But Paul's telling them, no matter what other gods you might have served, no matter other aspects you had in your life. Now you've become a Christian, you've turned from that, and you're not serving idols, you're serving the living and true God. This church embraced it. They understood who they were. They understood they were in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. They understood they had been rescued. They understood they'd been converted. They understood they had a responsibility to serve God. If you're not serving the Lord in some way, find a way to do it. Please, if you think you, you can preach, there's, there's, you've got no chance of preaching here. Yeah, honestly, trying to get into this pulpit, it's like landing at Heathrow Airport on a Monday morning. You're not going to get the pulpit, but I'll tell you this, you start serving in other areas, and before you know it, God might recognise you, and some door may open for you in that way. Titus says this, Sorry, um, verse, um, sorry, verse 10, um, something else. They were a people who were devoted to the service of God. They were a people looking for God's Son from heaven. In verse 10 it says, and to wait for his Son from heaven. Here is a church who believed in the second coming of Jesus. Here is a church who believed Jesus would return. May I just say 
so do we. Amen? I'm going to do that again. We believe in the second coming of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Right. And that would affect all that they did. For the thought that Jesus is coming, and it tells us they were waiting for God's Son from heaven. Now, this wasn't a waiting, you know, um, a little bit later on, I'll be waiting for a train. I'll be sat on a, a bench at uh, St. Pancras, um, trying to collect money. No, I don't do that anymore. I'll be sat there, and I'll just be waiting. Waiting. Waiting for the time, train, on the train. Before you know, I'm home. Lovely. Wait. There's no activity involved. But this wasn't a waiting that meant put your feet up and rest. They were, ser- they were waiting for Jesus, but while they were waiting, they were serving him. They were involved. They were getting on with what things happened. But the thought that God had rescued them from wrath, the thought that the judgment was not to face them would have inspired their evangelism. The thought that one day they would see Jesus inspired them in their living. And I know that the ministers of this church would support me in saying that, that Christ is coming. You know, I don't know when Christ is coming back. Now, I'm not being clever when I say this, but I know this, since last week, it's a week nearer. (laughs) Now, I don't know. It's a week nearer. A week has gone when we could have served him, evangelised, done all sorts of acts of kindness and hospitality that are lost to us now. But there is a time when he's coming. Another week has gone. May we not waste a week. You've had a tremendous week. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, and envisioning conferences and a, a tremendous week of vision conference. Tremendous. And from that, it has to work out because time is limited. Time is limited for he will come. And that wrath that we have escaped will arrive for those who know not Christ. Almost there. You've listened ever so attentively. There were people looking for God's Son from heaven and to wait for his Son from heaven. Titus 2.13 says this, while we wait for the blessed hope. Um, In the Old Testament, the prophets waited a long time for Jesus to come the first time. I'm not sure how long we will wait, but I know this, that he is on his way. John 14.3, Acts 1.11, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, Revelation 1, 7, all reminders that he is coming. And as a church, we know we've been saved from the wrath. We know we've been delivered from idols. We've been converted. We've changed our ways. But above all, we are waiting. We are looking. We are expecting God's Son from heaven. And that should affect everything we do. Our contact with one another, our behavior, our Everything is affected by the fact that one day he will return and we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're almost there. There were people looking for God's Son. And then sixthly, they were joyful in the Holy Spirit. Verse 6 says the word, You became imitators of us and the Lord. In spite of severe sufferings, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. This church was joyful. Oh, they were converted, they were evangelizing. But let me tell you, they were joyful, joy given by the Holy Spirit. 
I watched um, on, online your um, New Year's Eve service and I've got to say I was shocked by some of your behaviour. <laughs> Although the camera was looking at you from behind, I, could, I know who you were. And I've got, I, do you know what I said when I saw that? I don't know who I contacted. I said something, I think it was Pastor Colin, I think I said, great to see so much joy in the house. Joy. Do you know it's allowed? Now, I could make you laugh. I know some brilliant jokes that you could tell your grandchildren. I don't know any jokes. Well, I know some, but I would never tell them that you couldn't tell your grandkids. Right? But I'm not talking about making people laugh. I tell you a joke. By the time you got to the bus stop, you're saying, what, what was that joke he told? You won't remember it. But joy given by the Holy Spirit will be with you in the doctor's surgery tomorrow. Joy given by the Holy Spirit will be there when you're meeting your boss because there's redundancies and you may be on the list. It's not laughter. It's not frivolous. It's not humour. It's joy given by the Holy Spirit that we have an understanding that although things may not be well, there is a joy, an understanding that God is with us in all that we do. We are joyful in the Holy Spirit. Joy given by the Holy Spirit. Not joy given by the music and some of the music is so uplifting it's brilliant and the Holy Spirit can use that and when others preach the same can happen others preaching here there's joy comes through the Holy Spirit with the word in our hearts looking for his coming assured of our salvation serving God and being joyful it says in Acts 13 52 and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. It's not either or, you can have both. When I first became a Christian, I used to think the spiritual people were miserable. Do you remember those days when if someone never smiled, they must be holy? You know? I could say something now that get me into trouble, but I'm going to stop. And for a long time, I thought, oh, Brother so-and-so in church, he's got, he's got a, he wears a black suit and he has a big black Bible and he never smiles. Being a Christian was a very serious matter. And I thought, I can't be like that. And I tried. And I, I, you know how long I lasted? 48 seconds, it was timed. You know, we're not, we're not asked to be. Some of you are serious people, good on you. Some of us are extroverts, some of us are introverts. Listen, you're all welcome. I'm not in competition with you. I want to be me and you be you. And I want us both to have the joy of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And of our services. Somebody asked me the other day what church I, I, I went to. And I just, I, um, I now say happy clappy. Because <laughs> that's what the world thinks of us. We're happy clappy. We're happy and we clap. And I, th I thought, well, yeah, I, I'm not embarrassed by that. I'd rather be go to a happy, clappy church than a dead and miserable place, wouldn't you? I don't mind people think happy, clappy. I'd like to say to people, listen, come to the church. And they come in. And there's some joy and there's some laughter and there's some smiles and there's some it's lovely singing and there's a, a, a message, maybe not tonight, very meaningful <laughs> in that way. Joy given by the Holy Spirit. 
Come to church with a smile, won't you? Come to church with a smile. We're almost there. So they were joyful in the Holy Spirit. And the disciples were all filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. And then it says they were an example to others. Verse 7, it says there, And you became models to all, became a model, pardon me, to all believers in Macedonia. That's it, a model. So Paul's saying, I want all the churches in my region. I was a regional superintendent for a while. Let's be called Paul a regional superintendent. I want all the churches in my region to be like the Thessalonians. If, if you want to know how to run church, if you want to know what Christians should be like, get a bus and get down to Thessalonica and see what they're doing. And you know, I'm jealous for that to be said of us. Not because we're the biggest or the brashest or we're this or we're that. No, we're, we're well out of that. That's long gone if we ever had it. But we want to be an example. I just think it's a marvellous when I come to the church sometimes seeing how many people are outside coming and going. I thought if, if I was someone in the neighbourhood, I would be so curious. That's why you need to smile when you go out. This is not a dentist's with all respect to any dentist here. Joy in the Holy Spirit. You have become a model. In verse eight, we realize, and I'm watching my time, it says there, it says there, the message rang out from you. So we've got all this spirituality, we've got all this love in the Bible, Holy Ghost, joy, freed, rescued, we've got all of that. But where does it all go? Where does that find expression? Do we just want to come to church and feel good and to have the word of God and to praise and to worship? Yes, we have all of that, but it's got to have a purpose. You see, with respect, you're not the purpose. You're not the reason that we preach and we pray and we seek and we worship and we, you're, that, you're not it. It's that we might encourage you to let this message ring out. The message rang out from you. I'm told that in the Middle of Ages, apart from maybe a cannon in warfare, the cathedral bell was the loudest sound that anybody ever heard. So you could be miles, there was no noise pollution as they call it, and that's it. And we just think that's what we want to be. We want the message to ring out from us. We want people to hear about us, but that we love Jesus, and that we want them to know Jesus as well. It says your message uh, that rang out from you in verse 8. Verse 3, it says, they were an example in work. Your work produced by faith. They had faith when they did something. They believed it. They had faith. Your work produced by faith. Friends, we have got to start believing God for greater things. Please, we have plans. There are programs. There are all, look at your, your, um, your magazine. It's full of tremendous things. But friends, we need work produced by faith. Lord, increase my faith. Thirdly, in love. Labour prompted by love. Why do we do it? Why do we serve him? Because it's prompted by love. Love for Jesus and love for the lost. And then lastly, in endurance. Uh, endurance inspired by hope. So this group, with all that they had, they were a, a model because, to all believers because the message 
rang out from them. Rang out. They work produced by faith, verse 3. Labour prompted by love. Endurance inspired by hope. So there we have it. Faith, love and hope. And what does hope say? Hope says, don't give up. Why can this not be the best year in the history of Kensington Temple? Why can't it be? Oh, it's not the way it used to be. No, it's not the way it used to be, and you're not the way you used to be, so we'll call it a, a draw. Why can't we believe that God is going to do something special within our church? Why can't we believe that we could be a model to other churches? Not just through numerical growth or some pride in ourselves, no. But that we are seeking to worship God, to serve Him, and we want the message to ring out.